Good morning and welcome to another <clears throat> Berean Post podcast. For those of you that have been following along, you know that we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians and today we're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, verses 10 to 16 and I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into the text. Paul says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But even if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife. Divorce is a significant life event with both positive and negative impacts. It, it can be one of life's most challenging experiences. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 to 16 sheds light on the biblical perspective uh, on divorce and marital relationships. The Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthian Christians regarding marriage and divorce providing insights into the sanctity of marriage, potential reconciliation, and the dynamics of being married to an unbelieving spouse. This passage explores complex interpersonal relationships and offers spiritual and ethical guidance serving as a valuable resource for believers facing marital and marriage difficulties and considering divorce. In the first century, Jewish divorce was governed by religious law based on the Torah and interpreted by religious authorities such as Pharisees. It differed significantly from modern divorce. Grounds for divorce were rooted in the Torah's allowance for divorce if a man found an indecency in his wife, with varying interpretations. To initiate divorce, a man provided a written get document witnessed in a religious court or synagogue. Once delivered to the wife, the divorce was official. She could remarry after awaiting a period and receive financial settlement, a ketubah, um, as specified in her marriage contract. Religious traditions and beliefs deeply influenced this process. In ancient Rome, divorce procedures were governed by Roman law. Both men and women had the right to initiate a divorce. Divorce could be mutual or unilateral, with a unilateral divorce often initiated by the husbands through a declaration known as a repudium. And these grounds for divorce were relatively lenient, ranging from incompatibility to infidelity. Legal proceedings were typically private, involving the spouse, their families, and witnesses, without the need for formal courts or state intervention. Financial settlements were not mandated by law, but were often negotiated. And after divorce, both parties could remarry immediately without waiting periods or social stigma. Roman divorce practice varied by time, social class, and 
local customs, but generally re reflected the pragmatism and accessibility of Roman law. <clears throat> well, Moses, as depicted in the Old Testament, sanctioned divorce according to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, permitting a man to issue a certificate of divorce and separate from his wife if he found some indecency or uncleanliness in her. This allowance was made as a concession due to the moral and relational challenges faced by the Israelite community, recognizing that divorce, while not the idea, could serve as a practical solution for marital difficulties. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 discusses divorce, stating that if a man finds some indecency in his wife, he may write her a divorce certificate and send her away. The phrase, some indecency, was subject to interpretation, and different Jewish sects and scholars had various views on what constituted a legitimate grounds for divorce. Now, Malachi 2, 16 states, For the Lord, the God of Israel, says that he hates divorce. While this verse does not specifically address whether a woman can initiate divorce, it emphasizes God's disapproval of divorce in general. Jesus, as portrayed in the New Testament, reaffirms the sacred nature of marriage and introduced a more rigorous interpretation. He stipulated that divorce should only be permitted in the case of sexual immorality. With this only exception, and he, he further stated that remarriage after divorce, except for the case of sexual immorality, amounts to adultery. That's in Matthew 19, 3-9. Jesus underlined the fundamental purpose of marriage as a divine union that should remain unbroken, surpassing the leniency of the Mosaic Law and placing a solid emphasis on fidelity and unwavering commitment within the marital bond. So these are the words... This is what the gospel says. Some Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife uh, just for any reason? And he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning um, made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore... But God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So here, Jesus is referencing the passage in the Old Testament, specifically Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, which outlines giving a woman a certificate of divorce if a man finds some indecency or uncleanliness in her. Jesus interprets this as a concession that Moses made due to the hardness of the Israelites' heart, meaning that certain regulations were put in place to manage divorce because of their stubbornness and sinfulness. However, then Jesus goes on to emphasize that this was not the idea or the original plan for marriage. He reaffirms the principle of the sanctity of marriage, stating that what God has joined together should not be separated. He allows for divorce only in the case of sexual immorality, interpreting the allowance in Deuteronomy as an exception rather than the norm. 
Well, Paul, in his letters, offered further insight into divorce, particularly concerning marriages involving both believers and non-believers. He recommends that if a believer was married to an unbeliever and the unbelieving spouse was willing to stay, the believer should remain in the marriage. Additionally, he discourages divorce between Christian spouses as indicated in 1 Corinthians 7, 10-16. Paul's teachings reflect a pastoral perspective aimed at navigating the intricacies of marriage and divorce within <clears throat> the early Christian community. His central concern was fostering harmony and stability within Christian households. So in this passage, Paul provides teachings on marriage and divorce within the diverse Christian, uh, sorry, Corinthian church, including the Jews and Greco-Romans. Paul's guidance is not specific to any cultural or ethnic group, but is intended as a universal Christian teaching. He advises against divorce between Christian spouses, stressing the sanctity of marriage and encouraging the recollection if uh, reconciliation rather, if possible. In cases where Christians marry non-believers, Paul recommends maintaining the marriage if the unbelieving partner is willing to coexist. This um, council addresses the mixed composition of the Corinthian church and the potential challenges arising from different beliefs and cultural backgrounds. Paul underscores the importance of peace and avoiding unnecessary disruptions in marriage and households. His teachings are asserted with apostolic authority, making them relevant and binding for all Christians, regardless of the cultural or ethnic background within the Christian church and beyond. Paul begins by stating that a wife must not separate from her husband. This aligns with the traditional Jewish view that the husband and not the wife should initiate divorce. In the cultural religious context of the time, the husband had more authority and control over the decisions to divorce. The concept that a woman could not initiate a divorce from her husband is consistent with the ancient Jewish law and societal norms rather than being explicitly stated in the Old Testament. But then he reinforces this by stating that a husband must not divorce his wife. Well, this aligns with Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, where he emphasizes the sanctity of marriage and discourages divorce except in the case of marital unfaithfulness. Okay, now for application. Divorce among Christian men and women should strive for non-existence, not solely because of the historical teachings of Moses, Jesus, or Paul regarding divorce, but primarily driven by the profound principles laid out by Jesus, emphasizing love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Additionally, Paul's teachings on embracing a new life in Christ, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and being willing to lay down our lives for one another, provide a strong foundation for pro prioritizing unity and preserving marital relationships within the Christian community. In today's Christian context, does one's faith impact divorce among Christian couples? Until recently, some may have argued that divorce rates within the church, particularly among North American Christians, show little difference from those in secular circles. However, a recent article published by Focus on the Family presents some promising research findings in the article, Does Faith, Does Faith Reduce <coughs> Divorce Risk? Let me give you some quotes here. Quote number one, many Christians believe that divorce rate among believers is on par with that of the unbelieving world. That's simply not true, particularly for those who take their faith seriously in both belief and practice. The best research from a sociological leading scholar, uh, sorry, from society's leading scholars have established this fact 
time and time again over the last few decades. And that again comes from the article, Does Faith Reduce Risk um, by fo Focus on the Family? The other quote is this, most recently research out, uh, conducted at Harvard University School of Public Health reveals that regular attending church services together reduces a couple's risk of divorce by a remarkable 47%. Many studies, they report, have similar results ranging from 30 to 50% reduction in divorce risk. Happily, this holds largely true for white, black, Asians, and Latino couples. So considering these compelling findings, it becomes increasingly clear that a solid commitment to faith and practicing its principles can significantly, re can significantly reduce divorce rates among Christian couples, reaffirming the importance of love, forgiveness, and reconciliation in nurturing lasting marital bonds.